Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listek, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. Let's get to some news. So CK Editor uh, 5, oddly enough, version 10, uh, was released. I haven't actually looked at CK Editor in a long time, but it looks like they've completely uh, re-engineered it. And so what it is, it's a uh, WYSIWYG editor um, that you can use in applications, you can embed. It's a lot like uh, TinyMCE, uh, similar. Uh, but they have completely rewritten it with a comprehensive API. It allows a ton of configuration. It's got a modular and plugin-based architecture. And it's also based on a virtual DOM. Uh, document object model, so it abstracts a lot of those browser quirks away, and it does make styling and configuration far easier. So if you really are looking for an alternative to, say, TinyMCE, um, or you're just kind of looking for another product to provide some of those editing experiences in uh, whatever application or web application you're doing, then check it out. I played around with it a little bit. Uh, It's pretty cool. It's got a lot of features. I like the clean design, and I am interested to see how the plugin kind of system works and how it abstracts. So, something to check uh, and see what you can do with it. Google released um, the .app top level domain. Uh, it's a git.app, it's a top level domain that is supposed to provide a bit, uh, I think, more legitimacy to the applications out there. And when I say applications like the uh, Play Store or, you know, Apple Store, those type of apps. And what's unique about this is that every .app domain is going to have to have SSL. And they did this by putting it on the HSTS, uh, which is essentially saying, you know, it will not function without an SSL cert being on there. And it appears to be an effort to not only create a bit of a standardized directory of applications, but get a better control over their security and trustworthiness. Apps that tend to appear better and behind that lock lock icon on a browser and also with a professional type of website tend to appear better trusted. So that would be my guess as to what Google's intention behind it is because it only serves them well if a bunch of people are going to the applications and their app stores and seeing a better and more trustworthy ecosystem. And it is interesting to note that Google bought the domain for about 25 or the top level domain for about $25 million in 2015 and then held on to it. And my guess is they are really trying to figure out well, what can they do with this and how can they make it more of a directory? So you can apply today uh, if you have an app or you're looking to get an app. It seems like they're definitely doing some curation on it, so it's not a free-for-all. But for sure, something to check out if you're in that. A little bit of other SSL type of news, I suppose. Uh, GitHub pages are getting SSL support via Let's Encrypt. And really what this means, it's not, it's not all GitHub pages, but those that use custom domains. So for a long time, you've been able to use a custom domain with GitHub pages. And what that is, is it allows you to basically do a static site 
via, and served via GitHub. So you can basically have your website in a repository and it will serve from it. And then you could use a custom domain on top of it. But due to the fact that they were hosted by GitHub and you would point your name servers there, they didn't have the facility for custom domains to use SSL. Well, that's changed. Now that Let's Encrypt has been and others like it have uh, been available and you can issue certificates at scale, it allows uh, GitHub to offer this. So apparently it's about around a million or so sites will gain the ability to be encrypted. I believe that they're not just turned on for everyone, you know, or forcing everyone behind it because you might have, um, you know, non-protocol relative links, uh, you know, or any number of other issues. But you can turn on a basically a radio button in, in your control panel, say, you know, enforce SSL. And this will also impart some speed updates as well. I believe it's running behind HTTP2 as, you know, in addition to that. So for sure, something to check out. And if you're running that, very, um, uh, very good idea to turn that on because not only does it help you with, you know, uh, the SEO, um, security, any number of reasons, but also speed. So a good idea. Getting to some links and resources. Uh, a couple things I found this week. Uh, there is this day.js. So a common complaint I hear is that moment.js is large and slow. And what that is, it's a, a JavaScript library that you can include in your projects that allow you to do date and time manipulation. And so this day.js is an alternative to that, and it's just two kilobytes of vanilla JS. It's mostly compatible with those formats, and it, it, it is immutable so that every request you make to it returns a new object and doesn't modify a prior one. You know, but the main difference is it doesn't have locale support. It doesn't have all the things that, you know, Moment.js does. But if you need that kind of date-time manipulation within your applications, definitely worth checking out. I've linked to it in the uh, notes, uh, but it is on GitHub under a user xx45 slash day.js. Smashing Magazine had this great article about uh, replacing jQuery with Vue.js. And if you haven't heard of the Vue project, it's very similar to, say, others like React um, and a couple others out there. But they, they are essentially replacing, you know, using like virtual DOMs and those types of uh, setups to use JavaScript to drive a lot of the uh, front-end views and interactions with the server. Uh, is to have that kind of almost instantaneous loading and manipulation uh, and binding of back and forth data. I hadn't thought about using Vue.js in that way, or just should just say Vue, but it was a really interesting look to see how you might replace common functionality you do with jQuery, like changing or modifying a class or hiding something, and how you could use Vue in that regard. I always assumed that you had to basically use Vue for everything. It was more of a complete framework that you would use for an entire application, and it wasn't even a you know, regular kind of off-the-shelf website type of uh, utility to use. I could imagine you could use it in that way, but it wasn't intended for it. But this was a great look into what you might be able to do and some kind of common functionality and ideas to explore using that project especially since uh, jQuery is pretty large um, it works well 
you know, but this is an alternative. Though that being said, Vue is also pretty large, so, you know, depending on which project is appropriate, at least it gives you a different sense of um, what you might be able to do. And finally, out of a, another resource that I found, uh, something called Parcel.js. Um, what this is, it's a zero configuration asset packager. So it's intended to just be pointed at a set of files and perform common operations on them without you having to pre-configure much of anything. You can do a more advanced configuration, but the idea is that the packager is smart enough to kind of follow the dependencies, do the common operations, and the builds as necessary. You know, I use Grunt. I've just used it for a long time, so it works well for me. But looking through this, I could see a whole lot of value on some of the things it's doing and some of the common types of um, operations and the less, you know, the lesser amount of configuration I might have to do. If it's smart enough to pick up a lot of those things like, oh, it's an image, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z with it, or it's a JavaScript file with these imports in it, and I'm just going to put it all together, then it's a pretty uh, compelling feature set, something to make my life a little easier, especially if it does have that kind of advanced configuration I can override aspects of it. And I believe after looking through some of the documentation, uh, it does appear to have that. But something I'm going to explore in another month or so and kind of see what you can do. But check it out. It looks pretty cool. So finally, I want to talk a bit about uh, a topic that I've been thinking a lot about in terms of web design throughout the years, but more recently, and that's uh, accessibility. So unfortunately, an aspect of web design that's not always focused on as heavily as it should be is accessibility. You know, and I fully admit that I myself have not done a great job at this. I, you know, I've done a lot of research and I've tried hard to focus on that on certain projects, but it's not something I've been as good about being ground up on everything. So I'm trying to understand more and, you know, better how to, you know, to better cater to those users that kind of, you know, need that, uh, especially as it helps everyone, I think, because it really makes you design and build better. And some of it might be due to difficulty with understanding how best to implement this type of thinking into your design, and other is not truly understanding how the different types of, you know, disabilities might impact the design and functionality of your site. And, you know, what is hard is sometimes the guidance out there, there's a lot of it, but this changes all the time, you know, as in every aspect of web design. So it can be a little bit difficult to figure out, well, currently, what do I need to do? And often, some people just go to the kind of, you know, the base level, but that doesn't necessarily create a good experience. So how do you get there? I believe that you should really approach accessibility from the start. And you should build into your site and your project the functionality necessary and design considerations necessary to make this site accessible to as broad a population as you can. And so it does mean you need to have this base level of knowledge on accessibility, you know, to make sure it not only works for, say, screen readers um, and the variety of those that exist, but also that your design works for those that may be colorblind or have difficulty seeing. Some of this can be addressed by semantically structuring your sites as HTML5 already wants you to do. And then at, perhaps just adding in some of the necessary ARIA 
elements to kind of help guide the screen areas to where they need to go. And other aspects are just creating useful alt tags on images uh, and blanking those that are just decorative. And you should also pay close attention to tab index and how it might affect the flow. There's little more that is frustrating than being taken to the wrong section of the document as you might be tabbing through it. And especially if you are, you know, have difficulty, you know, with vision or, you know, colorblind and you're just trying to navigate something, having that tab index, having, well, having a correct tabbing order can make a big difference in terms of finding what you need to on your site. So something else that can be difficult to design for is hard of seeing and colorblind. Thankfully, there are quite a few tools out there to help this. One in particular that I really like is um, the Chrome DevTools Color Picker. In the later versions, it will actually show you the color range uh, and put like a line uh, around the color range and shade that fits with the AA or AAA standards for contrast. And there are some other, plenty of other tools out there too, some that will recolor the page for those with various types of color blindness. And it really makes a difference because you can see how a lot of your different color choices won't necessarily match up the way you think. And it, at the very least, needs to be somewhat clear about the direction. So even if, you know, not everyone can see every blue, it does need to work where you can actually see that, oh, this is a button, or, oh, this is a different section that I need to worry about. But ultimately, I believe that we as developers really need to keep accessibility in mind as a kind of a core tenant the design and really not as an afterthought. I'm trying hard to figure out how to put all of this in my own frameworks that I use for development and to make sure that I am focusing on that as I create a site. There are many tools out there to help, but it's important that I think we all strive to cater to as many of the you know, users out there as we can because it just forces us to create a better site and a better experience overall. So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.